0: Amen. Amen. All right. Good evening. All right. Like uh, Chris said, we're finishing out uh, chapter 11 of of Romans today, uh, verses 25 to 36. If you want to turn your Bible, but they'll also be on the screen. Um, So Romans chapter 11, verse 25. So remember last week, uh, Chris finished up talking about how the Gentiles were grafted into the olive tree. Um, the Jews were the root of the tree, but the Gentiles were grafted into the olive tree. So Paul is continuing this, this, this conversation tonight, um, starting at verse 25. He's continuing um, the conversation where Chris left off last night. So it's a continuous thought. So remember that as you're hearing this. He's, he's talking to Gentiles in particular here. So remember that as, as we read this. So Romans 11 verses 25 to 27 says, So that you would not be conceited, he's talking to Gentiles, remember. So that you would not be conceited, brothers. He calls the Gentiles brothers. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. He calls it a mystery. A partial hardening has come to Israel until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the liberator will come from Zion. He will turn away godlessness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So Paul is explaining uh, Jew and Gentile in the plan of salvation. I remember that. He's explaining um, why right now mostly Gentiles are saved and mostly Jews are not. So he's, plan- he's talking about his plan here. Um, and Paul is going to reveal something here. He says, so that you will not be conceited, brother. He on the Gentiles don't get puffed up like, Paul- like Chris talked about last week. Don't get a big head because you've been grafted in. You have no right to do that. We'll talk a little bit about that later. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. So Paul Paul says there's a mystery, and the mystery in Scripture is a truth that has not been previously revealed. It's it's incomprehensible until the time of revelation. So that's what a mystery is in Scripture. So it's a truth that has not been yet revealed by God until God decides to unveil it. He says to the Gentiles, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery. And then he says, a partial hardening has come to Israel until the, the full number of the Gentiles has come in. So he says, as far as the Jews are concerned, part of them, there's a hardening with part of them. Not all, he said a partial hardening, because some Jews were saved, particularly in the early days of the church. The church was mostly Jewish, and then as time got on, it became mostly Gentile. But even in today, we see that most Jews um, are not saved, but there are some. So that's why he says a partial hardening has come to them. God has always had a remnant of Jewish believers. So, um, and he always will, and we'll get to that too. Um, But he said a partial hardening has come to Israel until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. So a partial hardening, which means they're not complete in this regards to the whole nation of Israel. But he says a partial hardening has come until, so it's temporary, the full number of the Gentiles has come in. He says, until the full number of the Gentiles come in. Now, when he talks about Israel, um, he's talking about the Jewish people. And that term is used 70 times in the New Testament. And it talks about Jews, Hebrews, and Israelites. They're all the same people. They're synonymous of the same group of people. Jews, Hebrews, and Israelites. So he says, a partial hardening has come to those people until the fullness of the Gentiles, those who are not Jewish, come in. So what does he mean by the full number of the Gentiles? So there's a a time uh, where the last Gentile is going to be saved. We don't know when that is. But when that happens, there's going to be a shift. Okay, he says the Jews are hardened right now until that time comes. And as we look in John chapter 10... This is Jesus talking. He says, "I have other sheep that are not of this fold." And he's talking to to Pharisees and the Jews. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. What fold? The Jewish fold. He says, "I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd." God has always had a plan for Gentiles, us, those of us who are not Jewish, to be saved. And Jesus says, "I have other sheep." not just Jewish sheep or Israel sheep or Hebrew sheep that are not of this fold. He said, I must bring them also. He says, and they will listen to my voice. They also will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. God's plan is in two stages. First of all, the rejection of most Jews to allow the Gentiles to come in. And then God is going to go back to his people and turn their unbelief into faith. So there's twofolds: The rejection of most Jews, which we see right now, and then a lot of Gentiles getting saved, and then he's going to go back to those non-believing Jews and turn their unbelief into faith. And it's all a part of God's plan. And he says in verse 26, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. So what does he mean by that? In this way, all Israel will be saved. According to this plan, this is the, the plan that God had to bring in the most number of, of, of Israelites. All Israel is referred to as a, as a whole. A large portion of Jews at the end of history will get saved. They're going to be restored to their place of divine favor. They're going to be truly converted to God, and they will recover from their rejection. So it doesn't mean every single Jew... It doesn't mean that every single Jew is going to be saved because he already says in in other areas, everybody who's an Israelite is not a true blue Jew. Anyway, he said, he said it's about the circumcision of the heart. So even though you may have been born biologically a Jew, that doesn't really make you a spiritual Jew. And so when he says all Israel, it doesn't mean that every single Jew, but a large portion of them are going to get saved. And I would love to be alive when that happens, to see that. That That's going to be awesome. So when he says, all Israel will be saved. Salvation of Israel fits with the covenant promise of God to save his people. God has always promised Israel that they were going to be saved. He always told them that. And in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah... Chapter 59, verse 21, it says, The Redeemer will come to Zion. This is God speaking, and he's prophesying. The Redeemer will come to Zion and to those in Jacob who turn from transgression. This is the Lord's declaration. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you and my words that I have put in your mouth will not depart from your your mouth or from the mouth of your children or from the mouth of your children's children. He goes on generation after generation. From now on and forever, says the Lord. That's the promise God made to them. And this is what, what Paul quotes um, uh, back in, back in uh, verse 27, or verse 26. As it is written, the liberator will come. He says, liberator here, redeemer in the Old Testament, same thing, will come from Zion. And that's the scripture he's quoting in the, in the book of Isaiah. The redeemer will come to Zion. He says to Zion in the Old Testament, prophesying, and, and Paul says from Zion, same thing. To those in Jacob and Israel, that Jacob is a symbolism for Israel, same name, who turn from transgression, who turn, who repent of their sin. This is the Lord's declaration. This is what I declare. This is God's uh, ju- uh, not judgment, His declaration. As for me, this is my covenant with it. So you've got to remember, God has a covenant with the children of Israel. He made a deal, quote unquote, for lack of a better term, with Israel. Okay. In Jeremiah, he says, look, the days are coming, this is the Lord's declaration, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. He said, I'm making a new covenant. The old one's going to be abolished. I'm making a new covenant with the house of Judah. This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. It's going to be a whole different covenant. A covenant they broke, he he said. He said, he reminds them, a covenant that they broke even though I married them. Listen, God said, I married him and they broke the covenant. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, the Lord's declaration, I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me. Listen to the language. From the least to the greatest of them, everybody's going to know me. The servant to the king, all of them, everybody's going to know me. All of these Jews are going to know who I am. This is the Lord's declaration. For I will forgive their wrongdoing. There it is right there. I will forgive their wrongdoing and never again remember their sin. Wow. He said, I'm going to forgive their wrongdoing. They're going to repent. I'm going to forgive them and never again remember their sin. He's always promised to save them. One more. Psalm 14, verse 7. Oh, that Israel's deliverance would come from Zion. From where? From Zion. And what did Paul say? From Zion. He said, here, he said, oh, oh, that Israel's deliverance would come from Zion. He said, I wish it would. And then Paul quotes where he says, it did deliver, will come from Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, Jacob when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, Jacob will rejoice, Israel will be glad. When they repent and come to their Messiah, they're going to rejoice and be glad. But he says, he says, oh, that Israel's deliverance will come from Zion, and it did. God has always promised the deliverance of the Jews. Verse 28, regarding the gospel, they are enemies for your advantage. But regarding election, they are loved because of the patriarchs. Since God's gracious gifts and callings are irrevocable, as you once disobeyed God, but now have received mercy through their disobedience, so they too have now disobeyed, resulting in mercy to you, so that, they are now, so that they also now may receive mercy. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience, so that he may have mercy on all. Okay, all right. Verse 28. Regarding the gospel, they, the Jews, are enemies for your advantage, the Gentile advantage, he said, they're enemies for your advantage. But regarding election, they are loved. So what is he saying? He says, regarding the gospel, they have become enemies, the Jews, his own chosen coveted people that he made a covenant with have become enemies for our advantage. Now, like I said, he's talking to Gentiles, but at the same time, we got to remember that we were enemies. Gen- we were enemies of God. Ephesians 2. So then remember that at one time, he's talking to Gentiles here. Remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised. The Jews will call us those uncircumcised. People. Remember, remember David and Goliath when, when, when he went out and David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He said, he ain't even saved. Who is this giant that think he can take on God's people? Who is he? This uncircumcised... That was an insult. It, was not a, it wasn't a compliment <laughs> when he calls you an uncircumcised Philistine. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He said, we were called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands, the circumcision of that part. Okay. <laughs> At that time, you were without the Messiah, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Listen to that state that we were in. He says, you were without the Messiah, had no savior, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, were not part of God's people, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, not part of any of that, without hope and without God in the world. We had no God and no hope. Gentiles. This, this, is, this is who we were before Jesus. And then he goes on to talk about um, how now we've been reconciled and we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now we are. But this is how we were before. Romans 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? See, we were enemies. He said while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Once you're enemy, now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. That song we sing? We were enemies. And the thing is, a Jew and a Gentile can sing that song. Because right now the Jews are enemies. And in the future they're gonna say, Once you're enemy, now seated. We can both sing that song. Because we were enemies of God. Yeah. Regarding the gospel, they are enemies for your advantage. But regarding election, they are the love because of the patriarchs. Election. That word is eklogi, ek, eklogi, And it means a picking out, a chosen. He says, regarding election, the Jews were elected to be God's people from the foundation of the world. God chose them. He picked Abraham out of everybody else in the world and made the Jewish nation out of him. Abraham himself was a pagan. But God said, I'm going to choose you, leave your land, everybody, and come back. We we read earlier, leave your land. I'm picking you out, Abraham, and making a people out of you. and, And the whole world is going to be blessed through you. He said, because of election, they are loved because of the patriarchs. Because of... The patriarchs. What does that mean? Okay. Um, Verse 29. Since God's gracious gifts and callings are irrevocable. That is an important verse right there. God's gracious gifts and callings are irrevocable. The reason that they are still loved... It's because God's gracious gifts and callings are irrevocable. God doesn't change His mind. God made a covenant with Israel, and He's not going to change His mind. He says right here, he got God's gracious gifts. That's why, even though they've been set aside, partial hardening, they are still loved because of the I elected them, and my gracious gifts and callings are not are, are without repentance. This is in the King James, and they're freely given. They are unique gifts given to God. So when He says God's gracious gifts and callings, what do you mean by gifts? Romans chapter 9, this is Paul talking. He says, they are Israelites, and to them belong, listen to this, the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple service, and the promises. The ancestors are theirs, and from them, by physical descent, came the Messiah, who was God over all, praise forever. Amen. He said, to them, to these Israelites, belong the adoption they've been adopted into the family of God by God's choice. You know, when you choose, when, when in adoption, you can choose the child you want. You choose, you can, you can just pick who you want. When you, when you go to adopt, you choose. The child doesn't say, pick me, pick me, pick me. Especially if they're an infant, they don't do that. The glory, God would manifest his, his glory to them in and, and, and the glory cloud and, and over, 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 over the, uh, the, the Shekinah glory is called in the Old Testament. When he would show up, they would experience that in, in being God's presence. They would experience things like that, the glory. The covenants, God made a covenant with y'all. He said, I'm making a covenant with you. Of all the peoples of the earth, I'm going to make a covenant with you Jews. This is the gifts they had. The giving of the law, God gave them his very word. Written with the finger of God. And God said, Here, no other people had the law, only the Jews. The temple service, you get to serve me in the temple as priests, kings, and prophets. The promises, all the promises. Listen, verse 5. The ancestors are theirs, and from them, from the ancestors, by physical descent came the Messiah. God said, The the, the Savior of the world is going to come through you, Jews. Not a Gentile. The Messiah is going to come through you. You talk about a gift. And every Jewish mother would be excited when she got pregnant with a boy. Is this the one? Is this going to be the Messiah? Can you imagine? By physical ascent came the Messiah, who is God over all. Praise forever. I'm going, to, I'm going to come through you Jews. God said, I'm going to come through one of y'all, one of you women, one of you Jewish women. God, the creator of the earth, is going to come through the womb of a Jewish woman. Wow. You talk about a gift. They had all these privileges. And God said, I'm not changing my mind about that. My gifts and callings are irrevocable. God's gracious gifts and callings. What calling? The call to salvation. The word is klesis, and it talks about the effectual call of salvation. I'm calling you, Jews, to be my, to be my servants in salvation. I'm going to re- forgive you of all your sins. You're a rebellious people. You're stiff necked He called them in the book of Deuteron- Deuteronomy. But I'm going to save you. You're going to be saved. And listen, it's according to lineage, their connection to the forefathers. Notice that. It's according to lineage, the forefathers. Not according to color. Hebrew Israelites ain't got to do with men black. It's according to lineage. You can trace your lineage back to the ancestors. You're Jewish. Not how much melanin you got. God never mentioned melanin in the Bible. It's according to lineage. Okay. Genesis. Let's look at a couple of these uh, scriptures here. About the lineage, Genesis chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly, Abraham. Then Abram fell on his face. I bet he did. Can you imagine God showing up and saying, listen, Chris, I'm going to make my covenant with you and your people. What you going to (laughs) do? gonna Yeah, I knew you was coming. Yes, yeah, I knew. Then Abram fell on his face <laughs> and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. That's what his name means. The father of a multitude. Childless at the time, mind you, and God says, "I'm gonna make you a father. Of, I'm call you Abraham. Change your name to Abraham, father of a multitude." Can you imagine Abraham going to people and, uh, you know, walking with some, some fellow? Uh, what's your name? Oh, Abraham. And they're like, "Oh yeah, father of a multitude. Yeah, how many kids you got?" <clears throat> um, n- none. What, and your name is Abraham. <laughs> Embarrassing. <laughs> your name is Abraham, but you ain't got no kids. Yeah, but God promised me that he was going to... Oh, okay. All right. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude. I have made you, past tense. Notice how God talks. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. Everlasting covenant to be... To, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. To be a God to you and all your descendants. I'm making a covenant with you, Abraham. Exodus, another one, chapter three. Now, this is Moses' calling, okay? He's, 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 in, he's in, in the wilderness, sees this burning bush. He's going to see why it's burning and not being consumed. And he has a conversation with God. God called to him out of the bush. When God saw that he noticed the burning bush, God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Mm, God is holy. Just thought I'd throw that out there. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God, and I would be too. Now, God said all this to him. Listen, I'm the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your ancestors. And Moses hid his face, and he was afraid to look at God. Verse 13. Now, this is Moses. After he's, he's gone on, God, God is still talking to him about what he wants him to do. I want you to go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. All right? All right? Then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name, what should I tell them? I mean, if i got to just go and say, okay, the God of your fathers, Abraham, sent me. And they go, okay, well, who's that? What's his name? And God, like, Moses was like, okay, what am I supposed to say? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you ought to say to the Israelites. I am, has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, listen to this, say this to the Israelites, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. So in this scripture, Paul is reminding them of, of the patriarchs and who they, who, they, who they belong to. The God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So their lineage goes back to this. The lineage goes back to this right here, the God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he made a covenant with Abraham that that went on from generation to generation. It started with Abraham. And it also says Abraham, Isaac, and in that order, Abraham bore Isaac, Isaac bore Jacob, Jacob bore the 12 patriarchs. And that's where the Israel's history and lineage comes from. And so, God's gracious gifts and callings are irrevocable. So God says, it's all based on what we just read, all right? Um, God, irrevocable means it's unregretted, it's not repented of, and it's it's without change of purpose. It's based on God's unchanging nature. No, God doesn't change. The Bible says, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is consistent. That's why we can, you know, that's why we can trust God, because he's consistent. God ain't going to change up on you like some of us do. God is consistent. He said, I don't change. I'm consistent. And this covenant is based on my unchanging nature. These promises are irrevocable. Okay, not repented of. Okay, and listen, listen. If it's unchangeable with the nation of Israel and God's promise to save them, Guess what? It's unchangeable with you too. God saved you. He ain't changing his mind. You're secure, church. Your salvation is secure because God's nature is unchangeable. He ain't changing his mind, even if you want to change yours. He ain't letting you go nowhere. My father's greater than all. Nobody can pluck him out out of his hand. Listen, God has you. You know, when you see parents sometimes when they walk with their kids, they have their kid by the wrist right here. They have a hold of them. They're holding the child. The child's not holding them. So even if a child wants to get away, no, I got you. That's how God got us. He's holding our hand. We ain't holding his. So you ain't going nowhere, even if you want to. <laughs> I know that's a controversial statement about eternal security. That's a whole nother message. We ain't going there. But you ain't going nowhere. <laughs> You're secure, all right? (laughs) Because God is faithful and he doesn't change with the nation of Israel or with you as an individual. So God has a special plan and work for Israel in the future. He has a special plan for them. And listen, we have to understand that as Gentiles. Chuck Swindell has a a, a great quote in his commentary on this section. I thought was really good. And we need to understand uh, who we are. And he he told him in the beginning, so that you won't be conceited and boast about your position with God that the Israelites don't have right now. But Swindoll says, as a people, Gentiles don't don't have much of an honored heritage to claim with pride. If there is anyone in the world who should not be smug or arrogant, it's the Gentile Christian. You ain't got no reason to be smug or arrogant. We have no superiority to claim. Our heritage is barbarous and heathen. Our ancestors didn't merely stray from God's righteousness, they never knew it. Did you hear that? We didn't just stray, we never knew. Like I just read in Ephesians, we didn't even know God. It's strained, cut off, without hope. They didn't stray, they never knew it. Spiritually speaking, our roots are rotten to the core. (laughs) Your spiritual roots as a Gentile are rotten to the core. So to those who claim superiority over the Jew or boast in their privileged position in God's plan, I say with the prophet Isaiah, look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug, Isaiah chapter 51, verse 1. That's a humbling exercise for the Gentile and just what we need from time to time to be reminded of where God has brought us from. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Ah, Okay. Um, verse 30. As you once disobeyed God, Gentiles, but now have received mercy through their, the Jews, disobedience. Okay. So they, too, have now disobeyed. They're in your old position. Resulting in mercy to you so that they also now may receive mercy. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience so that he may have mercy on all. Wow. So the sin and disobedience of both are highlighted so God's mercy can be shown. Look at what he says. He says, as you once disobeyed, but now have received mercy. Verse 31. So they too now have disobeyed, resulting in mercy to you so that they also may receive mercy. God is a merciful God. It's all about God's grace and mercy. So that, it says, the sin and disobedience of both are highlighted so God's mercy can be shown to all. To all without accept, without distinction, not without exception. Not every Jew is going to be saved. Not every Gentile is going to be saved. And it's all according to God's plan. He uses the disobedience of one group to show his mercy to the other group. <laughs> he uses the Jews' disobedience to show mercy to you, and then he to show use your your disobedience show mercy to the. You see God's God's wisdom in this. Disobedience means you, we were unpersuadable; we were obstinate towards God. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience. That word "imprison" means to enclose. God is surrounding us with our own sin and drawing the net close to cut off any means of escape. Let me read that again. He's enclosing us. God is surrounding us with our own sin and drawing the net close to cut off any means of escape. Like you do when you catch a fish, when you catch them in the net, you close it off. That's the image there. Why? To give us grace and mercy. Wow, he's imprisoned everybody, Jew and Gentile, in disobedience. And I'm going to draw all y'all the same way. Mercy. I'm going to imprison all of you and enclose you all with your own sin. So that I can show you mercy. For the Gentile, the present is the reversal of the past. And for the Jew, the future will be a reversal of the present. Let me read that again. For the Gentile, the present is the reversal of the past we used to be. And for the Jew, the future will be a reversal of the present, where they are right now. Mm. God is good, but it's all based on mercy. You see that mercy, mercy, giving us what we don't deserve. None of us deserve mercy. We, all, in, in Romans 3, we saw that in Romans 3, and God, everybody, we all jacked up. So none of us deserve it. All right, let's move on here. Verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has ever first given to him as, and has to be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Paul is busted out and prayed for the wisdom and the plan of God. And he's he's thinking about, see, Paul's done with the explanation of the plan, but he's not done with the chapter. He's done explaining the plan of salvation, but he's not done with the chapter. He says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Exclamation point. See, can I use my little sanctified imagination for a minute? Diane, I don't think Paul was quiet about this. I don't, I don't think he was. He says, Oh, the devil. And I think when he got done writing that last verse about the mercy of God, I think he just might have just sat the pen down and just thought about chapters 1 to 11 that he had just finished writing. And I think Paul. Get real black and Pentecostal right here for a minute. I think he said, Oh, the depths of the riches of the knowledge and the wisdom of God. Oh, God, you're merciful. Nobody's ever shown you anything. Nobody's ever counseled you for anything, Lord God. Your ways are past finding out, God. God, through you and for you and to you are all things, God. You're merciful. I think that's what he did. But that's just me. It's my little sanctified imagination. I think he got real... See, because his exclamation point, he wasn't quiet. And I think when he got done, the Holy Spirit said, oh, Paul, that's good. Sit down, write that down. I want to put that in scripture. I think that's what happened. But that's just me. I said, th- Diane, I think that's what he did. I just think Paul just jumped up and just said, oh. Because listen, listen, you, you think about the plan of God. Paul was thinking about chapters one, 9 through 11 in particular, but the whole chapter 1 through 11. And Paul was just thinking about this plan is amazing. And he said, who? Let me, let me, let me move on. Let me, let me move on. Okay. The depth means the moral and spiritual riches possessed by God and shown towards mankind. That's what we cannot comprehend. It's deep or profound. I know back in the day when I was growing up, when you talk to somebody, sometimes we say, that brother's deep. And that meant that there was more to him. You know, he was talking and, it was, and the stuff he was saying was like really deep. It's like, oh, man, that, brother, that brother's deep. Paul said, ain't nobody deeper than God. He said the depth, that which cannot be comprehended. Who would have figured this out? He said, how unsearchable his judgments. His, his, his past finding out, nobody could have figured this out. He says how unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. His purposes and decrees nobody can figure out. His methods he uses to accomplish his purposes nobody can figure out. How unsearchable his judgment and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? He starts asking questions. Who has known but nobody could have foreseen what God was doing? He said, "Who has known?" And notice, Paul is not bothered by the aspects of God's plan that he doesn't understand or can't figure out. Paul's not puzzled by God, I don't understand this. I don't. He just said, "Oh God! See sometimes you cannot figure God out. So those things, those parts that you can't figure out, don't worry about. Nobody could have foreseen what God was doing. Deuteronomy 29, the hidden things belong to God. The hidden things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong to us and our children forever so that we may follow all the words of this law. See, God has some hidden things. The mysteries that we talked about, they'll belong to him. Some things are a mystery, going to remain a mystery to you until you die. Until you get to heaven and maybe get a chance to ask. But until then... The hidden things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong to us. God revealed his plan. Sometimes God will reveal some things to you. Not everything. First Peter. Concerning this salvation, Peter's writing, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that will come to you, searched and carefully investigated. The prophets were like, I need to figure this thing out. What, is, what am I writing about? He said, they inquired into what time and what circumstances the spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the messianic sufferings and the glories that will follow. He said, they were inquiring, inquiring about them. When is this going to happen? Verse 12, it was, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. They were writing for us, for our benefit. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. The things that were hidden said, God, these things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And listen, angels desire to look into these things. God didn't even reveal it to the angels. The angels are like, I don't know what's going on, but that's not my job. (laughs) He says the prophets didn't know when they were writing and the angels didn't know. He said, they desire to look. God, can you show me? The angels desire to look into these things. Show me what you're doing, Lord. But God never revealed it to him. He revealed it to his prophets and his. Pre- wow. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Paul asked. Oh, who has been his counselor? Isaiah chapter 40 in the Old Testament. Zion, herald of good news, go up on a high mountain. Jerusalem, herald of good news, raise your voice loudly. Raise it and do not be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with strength and his power establishes his rule. His reward is with him and his gifts accompany him. He protects his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them in the fold of his garment. He gently leads those that are nursing. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or mocked off the heavens with the span of his hand? He says, who has done that? Who has gathered the dust of the earth in a measure or weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills and the scales? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Who has gave him counsel? Who has told God, this is what you need to do. Let me tell you how to do this, Lord. Who has known of the mind of the Lord and who has ever counseled him? You ever try to tell God what to do? He says, who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? Go over here, go over there. Holy Spirit, go here. Holy Spirit, go there. Who gave him counsel? Who did he consult with? Did God ever ask you what you thought? (laughs) What do you think about this, Justin? You think I should do that? What do you think? Shalise? what do you think? You're pretty smart. What do you think I should do? (laughs) (laughs) Who did he consult with? Who gave him understanding and taught him the path of justice? (laughs) Who taught God what justice is? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? These are rhetorical questions, by the way. (laughs) And the obvious answer is nobody. Job chapter 41, verse 11. Can you pull in Leviathan with a hook or tie his tongue down with a rope? Now, Leviathan... It's argued about what this is. Some people think it's a sea creature. Some people think it's a crocodile. But it's a, it's a huge beast of some kind, all right, that God created. Um, can you pull in the vine with a hook or tie his tongue down with a rope? Can you put a cord through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Paul's talking, I mean, uh, God is talking about this animal. Will he beg you for mercy or speak softly to you? Will he make a covenant with you so that you can take him as a slave forever? You think about a crocodile, for instance, or a dinosaur. This is asking these questions about this creature. Can you play with him like a bird or put him on a leash for your girls? (laughs) You ever try to do that with a crocodile? (laughs) Will traders bargain for him or divide him among the merchants? Can you fill his hide with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? This is an incredible creature. Lay a hand on him. You will remember the battle and never forget it. (laughs) Exclamation point. You can try that if you want to. Any hope of capturing him proves false. You can't capture this creature. Does a person not collapse at the very sight of him? No one is ferocious enough to arouse Leviathan. Who then can stand against me? God said, if you can't deal with that creature, I made the creature. So, who can stand against me? Who confronted me that I should repay him? Who has, who does the Lord owe anything? Who confronted me that I should repay him? Everything under heaven belongs to me. <laughs> God said everything under heaven belongs to me. The earth is the Lord and everything in it belongs to me. I counsel with no one. Uh, Another quote. Um, and Job, this is, and you know, in the book of Job, uh, you, you know the story about, you know, the, 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 Job, uh, uh, the devil wanted to take him out, and God said, okay, I'll give you permission to do certain things, blah, 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 blah. And this whole, and the whole book is about uh, Job questioning his whole. Uh, situation, pretty much, and why he's going through that, and then his whole friends. But, um, but in the end, at the end of the book, this is Chuck Swindoll. He says, after a long time, we don't know how long, the Lord broke the silence as he confronted the man who was blameless, upright, and fearing God, and turning from evil. God was silent for 38 chapters, 37 chapters. God didn't say a word to Job or his friends, look it, for 38 chapters. So for a long time, he didn't say nothing. However, When God does begin to speak, when he broke his silence, he didn't come with answers. And Job had a lot of questions, but he didn't come with answers. Job never learned of Satan's challenge in heaven. Job never receives an explanation. He is never presented with a logical list of reasons that his tragedy was ultimately a part of God's good plan for him and everyone affected. He never gets gets answers. Instead, he encounters God himself. God says, okay, all right, Job, stand up and face me like a man. God told Job. He said that to Job. All right, Job, stand up and face me like a man. He said, I got some questions for you, Job. You asked me questions for 37 chapters. All right, I got a a few for you. And between chapters 38 and 42, God asked Job 164 questions (laughs) in four chapters. He said, I got some questions for you, by the way, Job. All right. He encounters God himself, and this meets his need after he encounters God. This meets his need. Seeing God's unsearchable mercy and gazing into his unfathomable ways end the man's desperate quest for answers. Once he encountered God, all his questions all of a sudden weren't that important. He puts his hand over his mouth and repents of his foolish outburst. And at that point, he worships. I love that. Okay, I had, some, I had a bunch of questions that I had for you, God, but now that I've encountered your presence, all I can do is... Those questions don't even mean anything anymore. And God asked Job, Job, where were you when I created the earth? Where were you? You got all these questions. Let me ask, where were you, Job? And Job realized and some translations, I should say, I'm a stupid man. The Bible says you put a hand over his mouth. I'm a stupid man. Yeah. And sometimes we got to realize, God, I'm just a man. I'm just, you are God. I just worship you in the midst of this turmoil, in the midst of my struggle, in the midst of me not knowing what's going on right now. My life is a mess. I don't get it all, God, but you're still God. And I worship you. And I trust your sovereignty and I trust your love for me. See, love produces trust. And that's all he did. He said, I I just trust you, God. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has ever first given to him and he has to be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To God be the glory. He is the source of all things, the sustainer of all things, and the goal of all things. For from him, the source of all things, through him, the sustainer of all things, and to him, the goal of all things. He sustains the forces of nature, the energy of the atom, the nation of Israel, the Gentile nations of the world, the supernatural powers of the spiritual realm, and everything else. God sustains. The Bible says in Hebrews, he holds up the world by the word of his power. Just because he said, the world don't move. And it just stays put. <laughs> He upholds, upholds it by the word of his power. The Bible says in the Second Thessalonians, when he's going to destroy the Antichrist just by the word of his power, he's going to speak the word and just destroy him. God doesn't have to touch you. All you got to do is just say. Don't breathe. All things will eventually serve his ends. Everything eventually is going to serve his ends. For all things, he works all things after the counsel of his will, Ephesians 1 11. All of it's going to work out for his good. The good, the bad, and the ugly, all of it is going to serve his ends eventually. All things. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Yet for us there is one God, the Father. All things are from him, and we exist for him. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are through him, and we exist through him. Ephesians 4, 6, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. In other words, it's all about Jesus. To put it in layman's terms, it's all about God. Everything, your life, the world, everything. And when you look at the world, you know, you look look at what's going on in the world and you know, the it's a mess. American. It was a mess. And i would be thinking sometimes, God, how, you, how you, this is this working out for you? I mean, everything. I know i got to trust, but this is, um, God, only you can fix this. Only you can fix this. And he is. All things work together for good. A couple more quotes out of here. A.W. Tozer. Um, Swindoll quotes, uh, quotes A.W. Tozer in here. He says, to say that God is infinite is to say that he is measureless. Measurement is the way created things have accounting for themselves. It describes limitations, imperfections, and cannot apply to God. Listen to that. Measurement is the way created things have, account- have accounting for themselves. It describes limitations, imperfections, and cannot apply to God. Weight describes the gravitational pull of the earth upon material bodies. Distance describes intervals between bodies in space. Length means extension in space. And there are other familiar measurements such as those for liquid and energy and sound and light and numbers for pluralities. We also try to measure abstract qualities and speak of great or little faith, high or low intelligence, large or meager talents. Is it not plain that all this does not and cannot apply to God? It is the way we see the works of his hands, but not the way we see him. He is above all of this, outside of it and beyond it. Our concepts of measurement embrace mountains and men, atoms and stars, gravity, energy, numbers, speed, but never God. Nothing in God is less or more or large or small. He is what he is in himself without qualifying thought, or word. He is simply God. I love that. We can't, we can't figure God out or put him in a, in a bottle. He is above all, through all. It all is a result of him being who he is. Uh, I'm sorry. One last quote and I'm done. I promise I'm done. Um, <laughs> Swindoll says, I have a a list of questions I would like to ask the Lord when I get to heaven. And I think we all do. But then, like Job and Paul, I suspect it won't mean very much when I see him. At that time, it will all make sense. So why worry over my list of unanswerable questions? Why not worship him here and now on this side of eternity and let his unsearchable mercy, his unfathomable wisdom, And his unmatched character be enough. Is this not a reasonable sacrifice, considering that he is God and I am not? (laughs) Wow. Amen. That deserves some applause. (laughs) He is God and we are not. So just trust his sovereignty. Trust his love for you. His plan of salvation from chapters 1 to chapter 11 is mind-boggling. That's why Paul just broke out into praise and worship. When he, when he sat down and said, listen, what I just wrote is beyond my comprehension. It's so deep. That's all they can do. And that's all we can do sometimes is just worship. God, we just, I, we just praise you, Lord. We just worship. We just exalt you above everything and every—because you're God. I don't have the answers. Some things boggle my mind. I don't know why you allow some things. I don't know why the world— look, Listen, God, but you are God, and you've got it all under control. Help me to believe that and to trust that. To believe that and to trust that in the midst of everything that's going on in the world and in my life. That's how we got to pray sometimes. We got to realize we're not going to get out. You're going to die with some questions. You're going to die with a lot of questions unanswered. Like Job, Job, God never answered his questions. Never. He just came back with some other questions of his own. And Job realized, man, I'm a stupid man. And as we prepare to take communion, we are going to celebrate this awesome plan that God has to save Everybody he told Abraham, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you. Jewish nations, Gentile nations, all of them are going to be blessed through you. And then he lays out the plan. And then, he, then he works out the plan from Genesis all the way to Revelation. We see the culmination of it in Revelation, but he works it all out. When you read the Old Testament, you see, you see God's hand everywhere. He worked. We see what he's doing. You see Jesus in all, every book of the Old Testament. His plan, his ultimate plan to bring this Messiah to the world to forgive them of their sins. And it's an awesome plan. And, and Paul just couldn't help himself. And he just broke out into praise. He said, God is too deep for anybody to figure out. He's never been counseled by anybody. He's never asked anybody's opinion for anything. He's God all by himself. As old folks used to say, he's God all by himself. He doesn't need nobody's help. (laughs) Amen?